0: Dr. R. J. Rushduni, RR 161DK208, Contemporary Education, from the Easy Chair, excellent colloquies on various subjects.
1: This is R. J. Rushduni, Easy Chair number 320, August 3, 1994. Douglas Murray, Otto Scott, Mark Rush and I will continue now discussing education with Sam Blumenfeld of our staff. Sam, uh, would you give us the essence of what you want us to consider in this hour?
2: Well, there are several things. Uh, first, I just wanted to uh, provide a little more information about the uh, outcome-based education oh, program. Oh, very good, Yes. Uh, which was developed by Benjamin Bloom and his colleagues at the University of Chicago uh, to prove to you that what their what outcome-based education is is really the creation of a or, or a transforming the public school into a humanist parochial school,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and uh, it's it's based on a uh, the outcomes are based on a book entitled The Taxonomy of educational objectives. In other words, they decided, now what are the objectives that we want the, the children to aim for? And they put it in a book called The Taxonomy of Educational Objectives. And in that book, uh, Doc, Professor Bloom says, uh, uh, effective objectives vary from simple attention to selected phenomenon, to complex but internally consistent qualities of character and conscience. We found a large number of such objectives in the literature expresses interests, attitudes, appreciations, values, and emotional sets and biases. Uh, And uh, he states, the taxonomy is not completely neutral. This stems from the already noted fact that it is a classification of intended behavior by educational objectives, we mean explicit formulations of the ways in which students are expected to be changed by the educative process. That is, the ways in which they will change in their thinking, their feelings, and their actions. Uh, he was very concerned about the age factor; that the older a child was, the more difficult it was to uh, change them, and so. He was concerned about getting these children as early as possible. And he says, quote, The evidence points out convincingly to the fact that age is a factor operating against attempts to effect a complete or thoroughgoing reorganization of attitudes and values. You hear that? A complete or thoroughgoing reorganization of attitudes and values. Now, Rush, I'm sure that when you and I went to school, our teachers were not interested in reorganizing our attitudes or values. They were interested in teaching us. They wanted to add to what we brought to the school. He goes on to say, The evidence collected thus far suggests that a single hour of classroom activity under certain conditions may bring about a major reorganization in cognitive as well as affective behaviors we are of the opinion that this will prove to be a most fruitful area of research in connection with the affective domain. Now, of course, the affective domain is that part of the curriculum devoted to feelings and beliefs and and morality and values, etc. So the the main thrust in education today, the main emphasis, is on reorganizing the values, beliefs, and uh, attitudes of the students, these
3: are, and you, these are polite terms for mind control indoctrination. Of course, of
2: course, this is and and Benjamin Bloom is the godfather of uh, OBE. So, I just wanted to uh, bring that up so that uh, uh, the listener would understand that we're dealing with with uh, something really diabolical. Uh, this this taking of children. And of trying to reorganize their values and of using techniques, uh, that can bring this about in a single hour of classroom activity. Now I often, br- mm-hmm. I often bring up as an example a youngster in Michigan who was an eighth gra- uh, an eight year old in the second grade who was shown in his classroom a film on suicide. Mm-hmm. And the next night, he hanged himself in his home. Now there, you there's an example of one hour mm-hmm. of classroom activity that produced that kind of a result. Well, you know, he, he was not only reorganized; he was <laughs> directed, well directed. <laughs>
0: it brings you back to the new Soviet man, yes, which they used to advertise as their. Uh, the product that they were going to produce. In the Soviet Union, they were going to produce the new Soviet man. Well, what they succeeded in doing was breaking people down. Mm. They broke people's powers of resistance down when they were children. Yes. It's very easy to break a child's spirit. He doesn't become a
2: self-functioning uh, adult. Yes. Yes. Now, you know, the interesting part of this story is that the parents, the mother, in particular, Debbie Nalepa, sued the school, sued the teachers, sued the superintendent, sued the principal, sued the makers of this film. And incidentally, the maker was not somebody in a backyard. It was Encyclopedia Britannica mm. who made this film. And went to court, and the judge decided that all of these people had freedom of speech and therefore they could not be prosecuted. And the case was thrown out. So in other words, these people have no accountability. Mm-hmm. They can show anything they want to the children. They can corrupt them. They can destroy them, literally destroy them, as they did this youngster. And they don't, they're, they're accountable to nobody. They're well, no responsibility. What whatever
3: ever happened account. to the judicial prohibition against yelling fire in a crowded theater?
0: Well, that was just a comment by Holmes. The uh, France has something they call the intellectual author of the crime. Yes. In French law, you are not put on trial until your guilt is already determined. There's first a complete examination of all the background and everything else, and when they finally determine that you're guilty, they bring you to trial. And in the trial, your defense attorney presents mitigating factors. That's what the trial is about. If your wife insisted that she had to have a mink coat and you finally went out and, and broke into a store and stole the mink coat and gave it to her, well, then she would be the intellectual author of the crime and there would be some consideration given to that situation and to what to do about her. So in this case, this the... Uh, American judge that you're talking about denied that there is any concatenation, there's any connection between what you're taught and what you do. Right, right, exactly. Which is to throw out all the results of everyone's thinking
2: throughout the history of the world. Well, this has been going on now, you know, throughout uh, certainly in America and probably in other parts of the western world by now.
3: Has anyone drawn any parallels between the specific sophisticated techniques that this man is talking
2: about in the brainwashing
3: that was used during
2: the Korean War. Well, I am sure that uh, some of us have have drawn parallels. It's it's obviously a methodology that's based on Pavlovian conditioning. One of the reasons and he they were, was a, he was a Skinnerian and a Pavlovian.
0: One of the reasons they were able to do that in the Korean War was because our soldiers were ignorant and they could not defend this culture or this country. They didn't know how to.
2: That's right. They didn't know how to. Uh, and you meet a lot of people well, who cannot defend their own culture because they have not been taught uh, how to defend it or that it's even defensible.
0: Well, the, the question has never arisen for yeah. them.
2: But in any case, so what do we do about it, you know? You have this... There are people who think that vouchers are going to solve the problem. And uh, I came to the conclusion some years ago that vouchers would only bring the government into the private sector because... Uh,
0: it would kill the private school.
2: Yeah, once you accept yes. uh But now here in California you had quite a referendum.
1: Now were well, the Christians for the vouchers or against Most the of them
0: were, I'm sorry yes, to say. Yes,
1: too many were. Some prominent Christian leaders in California were vehemently in favor of it. Uh, Protestants and of course almost all the Catholic leaders what they refuse to face up to is the fact that the courts have uniformly held that even though an act may exempt an organization or a school from controls if federal funds go somewhere controls must follow if state funds, county funds, funds from any government mental source require statist controls. Well, they have to account for the money they hand
0: out. That's right. And how you behave with it. Yes. It's a
2: self-evident <coughs> sort of thing. And the Christians don't understand this? They,
1: they th- think they are simply... unwilling to put the money out, to put their money where their mouth is. They want somebody else to do it for them. They want an easy way. Yeah. It's the same mentality that you have in gamblers. Yes.
2: Something for nothing. Well, the, they have this illusion that the government is going to pay them to be free. <laughs> well, <laughs> There's a lot of people who think that
0: the government wants them to be smart and wants to
1: educate them.
0: Yes. Now, well, obviously, if you were educated, if we had an educated country, our government would be changed next, tomorrow
2: afternoon. Sure. Well, I mean, well there you have, uh, so, so vouchers are not gonna work, and yet I, I think some conservatives react to vouchers at a knee-jerk. We talk of knee-jerk liberals, they're a knee-jerk yes. conservative. You say the word voucher and they say, I'm for it. Yes, vouchers, you see. And there are a lot of very high uh conservative leaders like yes. Bill Bennett and so-called conservatives,
4: uh, Aye, people, you know, who, you uh, Madam who Madam uh, Madam
2: promote Madam. vouchers as yeah. being the solution to the problem.
4: Well, and, uh, you important.
2: wonder when they're going to change their mind. You wonder when they're going to realize that what they're advocating is self-destruction. Yes.
0: Well, they were just running to get ahead of the parade. Yeah, it's a, it was a popular motion. And the the Wall Street Journal was in favor of it. Mm-hmm. A, a paper who's uh, sometimes intelligent and many times not.
2: All right, well, we know that vouchers are not going to solve the problem. What about conservatives and Christians running for school boards? How do you feel about that, Rush?
1: I have no objection if they want to, but if they cannot accomplish much for the simple reason That year after year, their power to affect anything is limited. More and more. If they take an aggressive step, they can be replaced immediately. There are ways of eliminating them. It it, it isn't worth the effort and the aggravation. Yes. I would
2: agree with you there. You're probably aware of that case in Vista, California, down in the San Diego area, where a group of conservatives were elected to the school board, and they wanted to get creationism in the schools. And of course, that created an incredible fracas in the community. The humanists rallied and created uh, quite a brouhaha. And now what the humanists are doing, with the help of the NEA, is uh, they have uh uh initiated a recall uh mm-hmm. movement and they've gotten enough signatures so now it's going to be on the ballot this recall i mean you see the hu- it's interesting that when a conservative gets on a local school board It becomes national news. Well, it's... It's, Yes. Coast to coast. Time magazine, you know, it's on the six o'clock
0: news. Well, haven't you heard the diatribes uh, against the Christian right sneaking its way into public office? By stealth. Yes.
2: (laughs) There's something very dirty about this. Yes. But so there you have... uh, Christians who go to all the trouble to get on the school boards thinking that they're going to change things in the public school and yet don't they realize that the entire premise of public education is totally wrong that it's a government system that it's corrupt that it's statist that it's anti-Christian to the core no they
0: don't realize that school teachers are government officials Now, if we if we could go about it a different way if we tried to enact a law that forced them to wear a uniform, maybe we could make the point.
2: Well, all I all, what I what I generally advise Christians to do is I tell them not to run, bother to run for school boards. I tell them to run for the legislature. I said that's where policy is made, and I would assume that that's the wiser thing to do if you're going to spend yes. your time and your money. Running for something, run for the state legislature because that's where the policies are made. That's where the budgets are made. That's where the laws are made. School boards, as as Rush says, are powerless.
3: Local school boards are only carrying out state directives. That's it. States are carrying out federal directives. Yes, they're just they're simply uh, facilitators.
0: Yes. Well, you know the the Europeans are not by and large as Christian as we are as a country. On the other hand, those that are Christian in Europe are apt to be more sophisticated than American Christians. And they set up the Christian Democratic Party in all these countries, in Germany, in France, and and so forth, which just by the fact that it's a political party and a faction prevents their opponents from attacking Christianity or Christians in politics. The Christians in the United States, for some reason or another, have seemed to have abandoned their constitutional right to do so.
2: Well, that's become part of the problem. Yes. The, the abandonment of our own rights yes. to assert ourselves in the culture. That's right. Uh, the culture has been taken over by the humanists. Uh, they've used the, uh, the Gramscian technique. Uh-huh. Uh, what they call cultural hegemony uh, to destroy Christianity destroy this country by taking over the cultural institutions the you know the the art world the music world the uh, universities and uh, all of these institutions are now in their hands
3: well there's so many games going on out there there's so many Trojan horses <coughs> in the field all the time that of kids are, are buffaloed. I mean, a lot of people just simply don't know what to do. They don't know that there's a problem. Uh, Vouchers was a Trojan horse for government control. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Bill Bennett
2: yeah. is a Trojan horse. And, you know, do you think they're going to try that voucher thing again in, in California? They never stop. Oh, no. They'll keep
0: trying it. They, they never stop. Enough. The one thing that's true about the left is that they never give up.
2: Well, I mean, they'll, they'll never give up opposing vouchers, but when are Christians going to learn that... Well, the Christians that, uh, have to learn
0: not to give up, because the, the other side is going to bring the vouchers yeah. up again.
3: Yeah. Well, no, the Christians are the going to uh, bring, it up, the the bring up The Christians will bring it up,
2: up and we don't need vouchers. Of course we don't. The other side doesn't want vouchers, but you see, the idea that, that we want the same thing that the N.E.A. wants, the idea we oppose... The same thing that the NEA opposes. The NEA opposes vouchers. But then Christians should also oppose it, but for different reasons.
1: Well, what vouchers will do is this they will shut down Christian schools. Unless those schools take the money, which means they will then be state controlled. They'll be part of it. And what is the school that is going to resist that do? Yes. If a parent can get a voucher for twenty five hundred Go to a state approved uh, school. Why would they bother to cough up two thousand or fifteen hundred a year to pay for their child in an independent Christian school? Well, if the NEA was smart, it would propose vouchers
0: itself.
2: But uh, they're afraid of any threat to their monopoly, anything that would upset the stability of what they have. Their first
4: their first reaction is X number of students will leave the public schools for these private schools which basically have their faculty set, X number of teaching jobs are going to be lost in the public schools over the next few years. So it's immediate jobs.
2: Yeah. -hmm. Yeah. But Uh, in
0: the long run it would be the end of their opposition.
4: A lot of a lot of Christians were buffaloed in California by the provision that said uh there were provisions in this bill which says this cannot lead to uh state regulation of the schools that received the vouchers. Okay, and that was very clear. The problem with that being is even in California it was a initiative which would have made it part of our constitution. Um, that could be thrown out. A part of that could have been thrown out by oh, yes. a court. Yes. Exactly. Right? And the ref- then we have vouchers with controls.
0: Exactly.
4: They also, down the road, if it had passed, the uh, NEA would have probably proposed another initiative saying, well, don't you think we should have some kind of control on the pu- use of these public funds by these rogue schools? And right. they, they started using terms like, anybody can start a school under right. this and get public money. Mm. And crackpots and cults will start their own school. Yes. And uh, it would have been very easy for the controls to follow. It would have taken very long. It could have happened... Within weeks, yes. all it would have taken is a court decision saying that part of it is not constitutional. Yeah,
3: yeah.
2: yeah. The
3: camel's nose. Yes. Uh, the Christians yeah. didn't
4: really want to hear
2: that. That's unfortunate. Well, I'll tell you, uh, the fault lies with Christian leadership. That they are leading the flocks in the wrong direction. And I'm talking about very prominent hmm. Christian leaders yes. whose names I will not mention on this program (laughs) but I think we all know who they are well Um, I mean the clergy the clergy really doesn't talk about the
0: community the clergy talks about the faith faith. and it forgets the community in its sermons
2: but as far as the Catholic schools are concerned they have from the very beginning wanted state support as a matter of fact oh they want money no matter where it comes from if (laughs) Lucifer set up a trust (laughs) they would be in line because back in the early days of public education, the Catholics fought very hard to have publicly funded uh, Catholic mm-hmm. schools and when the uh, communities would not have it. And for one very good reason, they said, well, if the Catholics get publicly funded schools, then the Baptists will want them, the Presbyterians, mm-hmm. and everybody else. And they said, we can't have that, so we're going to have no, no uh, public funding of sectarian schools. The result was that the Catholics did the intelligent thing. Set up their own. They set up their own system, which was very successful, extremely effective. They produced highly educated people and uh, did a wonderful job until about 20 or 30 years ago, when what they happened? began. What
1: happened? Well, they were taken the Vatican away. Council. Was the Vatican Council t- after t- the Vatican Council the secularization of the church was very rapidly put into effect? There were years when as many as 300 Catholic schools a year were being shut down. One of the things the Vatican Council did was to, in effect, debunk much of the faith. So a great many people stopped giving as they once had. And the American Church was the backbone of the Roman Catholic Church Mm -hmm. worldwide financial backbone sadly uh the Vatican did not have much respect for the American Catholics it was a bad situation the American Catholics prior to about 1960 made the entire worldwide Catholic Church uh Successful, they financed it they had the zeal and with Vatican II it was really a kick in the teeth the European Catholics didn't react as much they were cradle Catholics they didn't care much as long as the tradition was maintained but there was an intense faith here in this country. And over the years, as a beginning as a student, I heard Catholic scholars from Europe act as though the American uh, Catholics were a bunch of yahoos. Well, that and was a European attitude toward all of us. Yes. <clears throat> but... They were so much dependent, uh, the, these Catholics, generally on the American Catholic, and yet they treated the American Catholic with contempt.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Well, that's, that, that's quite interesting. But in any case, uh, the Catholics did a wonderful job, and now it's all over.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And they they just want the money now. Mm-hmm. They're, they're totally humanist, humanistic in their teaching. They're going whole language the whole mm-hmm. bit you know they're not going to produce the highly educated uh, Catholics that uh, once were the pride
1: of the Catholic system if, if I may say a little more on that the much maligned American Catholics made possible the worldwide work of the Catholic Church the American Jews were treated also by European Jews as somehow uh, beneath their dignity because they came of uh, poor immigrant stuff. But they were the ones that were financing things worldwide in Judaism and then in Israel. The American Protestants were financing a worldwide missionary program they were essential to the cause of Protestantism all over the world. Again, they were despised by the Europeans. The Europeans, I think, will have much to answer for for their uh, very contemptuous treatment of their fellow religionists in this country. I'm not saying that American... Uh, Catholics, Jews, and Protestants did not have their faults. But they put their money where their mouth was. They were ready to help their fellows the world over. They didn't look down their noses at anybody. And it's a great work they did and the story of what American Christians and American Jews have done in the past two centuries, is a remarkable story that has not been properly uh, reported on or written up.
0: Well, the United States was dynamic long after Europe ceased to be. Mm -hmm. Europe, Europe has been living off us industrially, in terms of our research, things like that, in uh, since World War II. It's rebuilt uh, basically on what the United States has invented industrially. And we do have a large and healthy, basically a healthy population, which is still, despite all the talk about our multiculturalism, is still 68% uh, traditional.
3: Yes.
0: So the, most Americans are... Uh, traditional Americans and now there is reaction beginning I take this business of one million homeschoolers very seriously I think they're producing they've all all got more than one kid oh yes and uh, so we're talking about a cadre of several million people that are going to be effective within the next decade Yes. some of them are already graduating from high school level and into the college level so that plus the Christian schools, which are holding the fort, and not all the Christian schools are are dissolving. Some of them are very good. Are going
2: to, I think, provide the sinews of resistance. Yes. Oh, there's no question in my mind that we're that uh, there's something there's. Good deal to be optimistic about. We didn't have them a, t- a decade ago. No, we didn't. This is a phenomenon that is uh, so recent that we're just beginning to understand its implications.
0: How long have you been on this task? Well, about ten years.
2: About ten years. Yes. And when you started, it was a voice in the wilderness. Yes, yes. But uh, and the movement has grown so fast and so and with such strength. Uh, that uh, it's quite amazing. This is an amazing phenomenon because what it represents, uh, uh, certainly for the Christian, is a clean break with the statist, humanist institutions, Come right across the s- board—a complete break, you see. And the result has been, of course, the—you uh, uh, might say—the reconstruction of the Christian family. Mm-hmm. I mean, that yeah. in itself, I believe that you cannot have Christian reconstruction without reconstructing the family. I think
0: this thing is running about 80% Christian, twenty uh, 10% Jewish, and
2: 10% sectarian. I wouldn't say that it's 10% Jewish. No? Much less. Much less? Yes, much less. You, Mostly you Christian. Jews. More it's, than 80%. It's mainly a Christian movement. It's mainly a Christian but movement. But you do have humanists, believe it or not. Yeah. And, and uh, hippies involved
0: in this homeschool movement. Has any Uh, other
2: country tried anything like this? Uh, You mean homeschooling? Yes. Well, the, the American homeschool movement has had a considerable impact abroad, particularly in Australia, which usually takes its cue from Australian conservatives take their cue from American conservatives.
1: Christian schools also have sprung up in the past decade abroad in countries where they did not exist before. Dorothy was reminding me a few days ago, about a week ago, that uh, in the 50s I wrote intellectual schizophrenia on the Christian school movement and then messianic character which came out in the early 60's. Of course, she did a lot of the typing for messianic character of American education as I would go to the Stanford library and bring back stacks of books or get them out of the state library in uh, Sacramento. And she thought all the work I was doing, writing, was very interesting, but while she didn't say anything at the time, she felt it was futile because the state schools were triumphant. All the parochial schools, Catholic and Protestant, were just a drop in the bucket as compared Mm -hmm. to the total percentage of uh, number of students in the country. And yet, look what's happened since that time. It is now a movement that frightens the uh, state educators. In the 50s and 60s, the state educators treated the Christian school movement as a curiosity, not a threat. They were ready to give a kind of patronizing pat in the head to these schools to prove how tolerant they were because it would never be a threat. And then suddenly they found they were growing by leaps and bounds and their tolerance suddenly dissipated. They began to be very hostile and the court cases began to come up because suddenly the movement was taking off. Well, yes, I remember, I know, Rush, that you've
2: uh, testified in many of these cases, uh, homeschooling cases Mm -hmm. particularly, which is an indication of the concern that the state has had. And basically we've pretty much won. Yes. Uh, In other words, parents have asserted their right to educate their own children as they see fit, which is a God-given right. Deuteronomy, you know, commands parents to educate their own children.
1: The areas where Christian schools and home schools lost were essentially the Plains states mm-hmm. Kansas, Nebraska, uh, Iowa. Uh, more to the north, uh, although Kansas was not too good, but Nebraska, Iowa, the Dakotas, right. because. Uh, That area was settled last of all. It was settled by Germans and Scandinavians. Lutherans. Lutherans and Catholics. It's really the Bible Belt, and yet they brought over with them their Scandinavian and German socialism. Mm. And to them it is unthinkable uh, to take education out of the hands of the state. So the hostility there has been intense. The uh, northeast, New England, was really the last area where Christian schools uh, took off. Before them it was the south. Most people assumed that the south led off because of antipathy to integration. And that's a myth. No, that would be more Uh, like
0: antipathy to Washington.
1: Mm -hmm. The uh, citizens' council schools were started all over the South as a reaction to integration in the 60s, and they died. There wasn't the religious faith. Yes. And... uh, They were a flash in the pan. Since then, a great many schools have started throughout the South and are integrated and are doing very, very well. But uh, it was the Midwest and the West that led off in the Christian and homeschool movements. Yes. I,
0: I talked to one pastor from the south of Mississippi who brought up an aspect that I hadn't thought of. He said, uh, with all due respect, Dorothy, the influence of women have kept the Christians in the United States from fighting as much as they should.
2: <laughs> well, but the interesting thing is that it's the, it's the women who... You have these powerful women who have been fighting the state, particularly in Pennsylvania with Anita Hoag and Peg Luxick and you've got some very fine women who have been reformed from... I think the homeschool movement has brought the women to the floor. Yes, yes, the mothers. Which which wasn't true when it was just a Christian issue. But I'll tell you what's wonderful about the homeschool movement, and it is the fathers who are now taking responsibility Mm -hmm. for their children's education. And one of the beauties of a homeschool conference is to see all of these young fathers with their children, you know, interested mm-hmm. in, in educating their children. Uh, I think you and I were brought up at a time when fathers were distant from oh, their yes, children. Oh, sure. You know, that, yeah. that was left up to the mothers, That's you see. That's right, say. yeah. And... Uh, we barely knew our fathers. Well, we saw him, you know, <laughs> coming, uh, leaving for the office. Yes, that's right. Coming <laughs> home late at night, yes. going out early in that's the morning. Right. That was about it. And,
1: and we were, were very respectful around them. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> but
2: nowadays there's a much, it's, it's a, as I say, it's the reconstruction of the Christian family. Isn't that something? And it's a marvelous phenomenon to behold. That's what gives me the great, uh, uh, a great uh, sense of optimism, particularly when you're in a room with 2,000 of these people and a Christian speaker up there and uh, and you see the, 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 the response of the, uh, of, of the audience and they're talking about things like hard money, that <laughs> they're talking economics, they're talking right. economic freedom these people are learning about American history in ways that they never learned in school and would have never learned if there had not been a homeschool movement because that's the kind of information that's finally getting to these these young parents.
1: Well, to go back to the fathers, it wasn't too many years ago that the men worked not eight hour days, five days a week, But long, long hours, 10 and 12 hours, 365 days a week. Dorothy's father worked such hours 365 days a year. The father then was an authority figure. He just laid down the law. He didn't have time for much else. Yes, yes.
2: Well, you know, uh, times have changed. Yeah. <laughs> Technology and other th- other factors are, are now involved, and in fact, another great development in the homeschooling movement is the uh, development of home industries of families. Uh, you know, uh, going back to the nineteenth century, creating pattern. little businesses. Yeah, because you see what's happening uh, in the United States. Uh, there, there are two trends that the computer revolution. Is producing, and that is privatization and decentralization. Right. In other words, you can live up here in Vallecito and have instant access to the Library of Congress, uh, to the New York Times, whatever you want today with the modems mm-hmm. and computers and CD-ROMs. You can you can contact any stock market in the world that you want with mm-hmm. your telephone, yeah, and you that has given people a, a, an independence now from the centers.
1: You are beginning to get newspapers that uh, will take subscribers to uh, their computer serviced news. Yes. The
4: uh,
1: San Jose Mercury, I believe, was the first in the state of California.
4: And what's going to come out is uh, customized newspapers. You say, um, I want... um, all news on uh, Europe, yeah. And they will gather articles, and you can print that up. Uh, that specializes on news of Europe, uh-huh. or news on South America, or if you right. want sports, they'll give you nothing but sports, and they'll customize your own newspaper from various sources. That's
2: terrific. Well, as a matter of fact, I was visiting a, a lawyer friend in in, uh, in the Detroit area recently, and. Uh, she showed me her CD-ROM, uh, you know, apparatus there, her computer. Her entire law library is in three little discs, three little CDs. And uh, she has one room, a conference room, which has a wall of books. And that's used just as a backdrop for a confer- for news conferences so that the press will know that it's a law office. But she also has the Washington Times on a cd uh, Disc so that she could call up any story she wants. All she has to do is type in the particular subject, like uh, homeschooling, mm-hmm. and that CD-ROM, uh, the uh, computer will locate every single story in the Washington Times during that s- that period of time on on the uh, homeschooling movement, and then she can print out any story that she wants. You see, so. That's an incredible advance in technology that's going to be available to every home. You see, if you can afford that equipment, you can have access to unlimited access to information and knowledge in the world. Well, the diversity
0: now is so much more than it was before. The world is larger, our mental world is larger. And we've gone into this before. <laughs> <coughs> God has given us the instruments for a new
2: reformation. Yes, that's, that's for sure, that's for sure. But so this technology has created this uh, revolution of, of uh, decentralization and privatization, and homeschoolers are taking advantage of it. So in a sense, they're on the cutting edge of all of the technological advance, because they're making use of the cassettes and the videos and the modems and the computers. And they're far advanced than anything in the public schools. I mean, the public schools are an anachronism, they're obsolete. These big buildings full of kids.
0: Military methods.
2: Yes. And uh, to give you an idea, you know, there's a, uh, uh, an educator by the name of John Taylor Gatto. Have you heard of John Gatto, Rush? He was a uh, he was a teacher in the New York City schools for 26 years. He was awarded Teacher of the Year in 1991, and he has given up on teaching. He says the system is destroying the children. And uh, let me just uh, go over. He says he gives a speech entitled "The Seven Lesson School Teacher." And he describes the seven lessons that are taught in all public schools by all teachers in America, whether they know it or not. And he says, the first lesson I teach is confusion. Everything I teach is out of context. I teach the unrelating of everything. I teach disconnections. The second lesson I teach is class position. The children are numbered so that if any get away, they can be returned to the right class. (laughs) The third lesson I teach is indifference. When the bell rings, I insist they drop whatever it is we have been doing and proceed quickly to the next workstation. The fourth lesson I teach is emotional dependence. By stars and red checks, smiles and frowns, prizes, honors, and disgraces, I teach kids to surrender their will to the predestined chain of command. The fifth lesson I teach is intellectual dependency. It is the most important lesson that we must wait for other people better trained than ourselves to make the meanings of our lives. Only I, the teacher, can determine what my kids must study, or rather only people who pay me can make those decisions which I then enforce. The sixth lesson I teach is provisional self-esteem. The lesson of report cards and tests is that children should not trust themselves or their parents, but should instead rely on the evaluation of certified officials. The seventh lesson I teach is that one can't hide. I teach students they are always watched, that each is under constant surveillance by myself and my colleagues. The meaning of constant surveillance and denial of privacy is that no one can be trusted that privacy
1: is not legitimate. I so don't they, think I agree with his outlook. If uh, one were to follow him, you'd have to be an educational anarchist.
2: Well, but he's saying as though that that's what they're doing in the schools today, and he doesn't agree with it. You know, he's, he's, uh, he's left the system because of this, you see. What well, he's saying, though, now, he, now it may be true. I don't know what he what his remedy is. Whether he would want to have a, a kind of Summerhill type school.
1: That's oh, what it sounds like. Yes. Uh,
2: well, he, he's for, uh, but, but uh, the fellow Neil
0: who had Summerhill was yeah. unusual. But and apparently he uh, he worked well with some kids. But somebody went along to find out what happened to the graduates of his school, mm-hmm. and they went nowhere.
2: Yes. yes. But the point is that he's saying that the public schools today are, are simply throttling the kids, and they're not learning, and they're being uh,
1: I wish destroyed. they'd throttled them a little more, frankly. Uh-huh. They well, need no, throttling.
2: Uh, but not throttling by, uh, for, for, <laughs> <laughs> not being throttled for the right reasons, let's put it that way. Alright. Not being throttled by the, the right reasons.
1: All you have to do is to drive by a high school today and you wonder, why doesn't something do, uh, someone do something? Aren't the parents of ashamed when they see their children? We're talking about A lost generation. Yes. Yes.
2: And we are talking about parents who really are trusty educators, but there is also a very large group of indifferent parents. I think that's the problem, because the parents who are concerned are those who are protesting, those who are taking their kids out of the schools, those who are homeschooling, those who are putting them in Christian schools, but then you've got an awful lot of parents who don't care.
1: Uh, but I also believe, Sam, that we have a great many parents now who have simply given up because every time they turn around, they're threatened. Yes. Well, they have and no authority. They have no authority. The students, w- uh, their children, will tell them, uh, "You try to do that, and I'll tell the school counselor I'll call and the police. yes." and they cannot wait for the children to get out of the house because they're no longer their children they're the children of the school yes incidentally
2: the, of course all of this is going to get much worse because now what the government is going to do is create this data collection system for the new world order everyone in a public school now will be on the computer and uh, I was sent a, a handbook issued in 1974 by the National Center for Education Statistics on State Educational Records and uh, in this section on student pupil accounting they list the major categories of student information such as a, a three-digit system is used to categorize the data, for example personal identification, uh, student number, Race, sex, ethnic group. Then they have family and residence data. Then they have uh, family economic information, family social cultural information, physical health, sensory and related conditions. Uh, student medical record, mental psychological and proficiency test results and related student characteristics uh, are in the com- in the data bank. All this data is to be collected and put in permanent data banks. Now, what is going to be? What is the? What's the point of having all this information? Why do
0: they want this? Why do they need it? Well, I ask you, why do well, they need it? Well, for one thing, people change. You can assess me, or you, or anyone else, at a certain age, and you are this. Right. Assess that same person at another age, and that's somebody else. Yes. I look back on myself as a very young man with a great deal of embarrassment. In fact, I don't want
2: to look back. <laughs> That's right.
1: <laughs> but you see, this
2: record, uh, this data system will will concretize all of that. It will it, fix you, and yes. you're not going to be able to get out of it. Yes. This in is words, like treating a person of 50 as though he's still the rat that he was when he was 18. Right. And what will happen is that this information will be available to employers tax collectors, no, that's, the that's FBI, terrible. the CIA, and all of that. It, been, it, it's going to define and limit individuals throughout their life. Oh well, Yes, and this is supposed to be a free society. It's the
0: European dossier brought up it right.
2: Should a free society have a dossier on every single infant, uh, individual from birth onward? No, there are things that's none of the government's business. Then
0: why is it doing that?
2: Why is it doing
0: Because it doesn't believe that there's anything should be allowed
2: to the citizen. It wants total control. Mm-hmm. You know, they, for example, there's a, a, a test that they give uh, to determine whether these kids are, you know, learning. And they have a, a, an assessment of citizenship, a behavior reference model incorporating elements related to the psychological notion of threshold is used. I don't know if you know what threshold is. I don't, know. Is. But here are the kinds of questions they ask on such an assessment. Uh, 57 items measure willingness to exhibit good citizenship in many social situations under a variety of motivating conditions. Now here's a sample situation. Quote, this is for grade 11. There is a secret club at school called the Midnight Artists. They go out late at night and paint funny sayings and pictures on buildings. A student is asked to join the club. In this situation, I would join the club when I knew, one, my best friend asked me to join, two, most of the popular students were in the club, three, my parents would ground me if they found out I joined. Now, what is the proper response? The response for each choice is yes, maybe, or no. Guess what the politically correct answer is. In the norm reference scoring, positive citizenship was scored as two yes, one maybe, zero no. Negative...
0: So you had to join.
2: Yes. Negative, in other words, two joining meant you were... Okay, right. good yeah. citizenship because right. you wanted to paint things on people's yeah. buildings. Yeah. You yeah. Know? Well,
0: the main <laughs> thing is that you're conforming. Well, you to see, that
2: group, right, even if the group's
0: outlaw.
1: It's interesting that, uh, not too long ago in the San Francisco, a school teacher, an art teacher, was caught leading a group of, uh, students in graffiti painting.
2: Uh huh, well they probably were you know, passing this test. (laughs) Well, a Christian student would have had a very difficult time responding to the situation posed in the test. First of all, he or she would not have wanted to join a secret club. A good Christian youngster would not join a secret club or stay out late at night or paint pictures on private property. The situation as posed in the test represents the psychologist's view that honesty and integrity are situational. Uh, But that would not be the case with a Christian. If zero yes, one maybe, and two no equal negative citizenship, what would a three no score mean? Well, what would somebody like me be? I refused to join a gang when I was a boy because I despised the kids that got in the gang. Well, then you see, you would not pass this test. You would be considered a poor citizen.
1: Right.
2: (laughs) Yes. Well, Well, this is the kind of thing that's
1: going on in this society.
2: Yes, of course. I'd have to lead the revolution. (laughs) I mean, and things are getting worse. The Carnegie Corporation has launched a plan, for example, to control early childhood education, early childhood development, starting with birth, even pre-birth. Now, this plan was published. uh, It came out. It was a report. You know, one of these big uh, reports. And was edu- in Education Week on April 13th, 1994. Very elaborate report on how we've got to start controlling everybody from birth. With, um. Well, now this was quite an agenda. I don't have the time to quote all of this, but I simply want to tell you what happened next. Seven days later, or less than seven days later, there was a meeting at the White House about this report. and and Hillary Rodham Clinton was the first speaker and she conceded that it will take uncommon political will and institutional fortitude to fulfill the report's mandate you see and then not too many days later it's voted on in the Senate now that's incredible power to go from a report from from a uh, a, a Carnegie from a private foundation to the White House and to the Senate. And get it through. In how many days was it? I think it was, I counted the number of days. I couldn't believe that they could, they could do all of that in such a short period of time. But it just shows you how all of this is coordinated.
0: Well, it's a mindset that they share. And of course, <clears throat> they're creating their own opposition. Uh huh. And they're creating more people in opposition every day.
2: Yes. Let me just read you this opening paragraph of the Education Week's report of April 20th, in which they had this big conference, this White House conference. says, A Carnegie Corporation of New York report sounding the alarm about a quiet crisis facing the nation's youngest children evoked a loud and emotional outpouring of support from top government, business, health, and education officials at a meeting Uh, in Washington, D.C. last week. Uh, Have you ever known a bureaucrat who evoked a loud, emotional outpouring of support for anything? I'm (laughs) very
0: familiar with a White House conference. Uh, Some years ago, I uh, got involved with the National Child Labor Committee, which then, running out of a market for itself, changed itself into a Committee for the Employment of Youth. (laughs)
3: <laughs> which I thought
0: was one of the funniest transformations I'd ever seen. Yeah. And the White House conference under the Kennedy administration meant that every participant was screened uh-huh. so that everyone who appeared was of one mind.
3: Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Well, this, sounds, this yeah.
0: is a feature of the Democratic administrations. Yeah. We've had a series of these administrations. We had Woodrow Wilson, we had Mr. Roosevelt, We had Mr. Kennedy, we had Mr. Johnson. Every single one of them have pushed this country further left. Yes. And every single one of them has dumped on the intervening Republican administration and accused them of every kind of backwardness you can believe in. And we are now going through the throes that will push us over the cliff. Well, at the bottom of the cliff, Mm -hmm. there's going to be a bunch of people who were not convinced who are going to be waiting with clubs.
1: <laughs> well, our time is nearly up. Is there a concluding uh, well uh, statement you'd I, like to well, make? First time? of all, I
2: would like to inform the listeners that uh, if they'd like to get any of my newsletters, yes, please. That uh, they can call my publisher in Boise, Idaho, and his number is 1-208-322-4440. And they can ask for the May 1994 issue if they want this particular report on the uh, this Carnegie report that has been enacted into law in this incredible short period of time. Mm-hmm. And all the other things I've written on OBE and mm-hmm. uh, whole language and, and the rest.
1: Well, thank you, Sam. We very much appreciate your taking this time. And... We're grateful for the part you're playing in turning around the educational scene in this country.
2: Well, I want to thank all of you, and and it's been a great pleasure as always.
1: Well, thank you all for listening, and God bless you.
0: Authorized by the Calcedon Foundation. Archived by the Mount
1: Olive Tape Library. Digitized by ChristRules. Com.